0: Amen. Y'all sound great. Would you remain standing as we go to the text from which my assignment comes today? I'm going to 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. If you're following along in your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. And I'm going to begin reading in verse number 1. The Apostle Paul says, This boasting will do no good, but I must go on. I will reluctantly tell about visions and revelations from the Lord. I was caught up to the third heaven... 14 years ago, why the third heaven? Most scholars believe that there are three levels of heaven referred to in the scripture. Earth is considered a heaven in scripture. The atmosphere is considered a second heaven. And then the third heaven or paradise where God resides is the place that the apostle Paul is referring to here. And so he says, I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know, only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside of my body. Let me just push the pause button there for a moment and tell you he was having a hard time distinguishing between his body and his spirit. Those of you that have been coming for a while understand that we are more than bodies. Um, our bodies are just the house that we live in. We have an eternal part. It's called our spirit. So we like to say we are a spirit that lives in a body and possesses a soul. You're not seeing the real me right now. The real me is looking out from inside of this body. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, I pray to God that your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless until the coming of the Lord. And you might recall that our spirits look a lot like our bodies. There was a conversation between Moses and God in the Bible where Moses says, God, I want to see what you look like. Show me your face. And God says to Moses, no one can see me face to face, which is interesting Because God is a spirit and he says he has a face. And then he says, so I'm going to put my hand over your eyes. God is a spirit. The scripture says he has a hand. He's going to put my hand over your eyes. And he says, and then when I walk by you, God is a spirit and he walks, which means he's got legs. He's got feet, right? And he says, and when I get by you, I'll remove my hand and you could see my back parts. And so God is a spirit also has back parts. In other words, he's describing something, even though it's a spirit that looks a lot like our body. And so our spirit In our body, are hard to tell the difference between, except our spirits are immortal, they live on forever and ever and ever. And so the apostle Paul says, Whether I was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. Only God knows whether I was in my body or outside of my body. But I do know this: I was caught up to paradise, and I heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words, things no human is allowed to tell. And I want to zero in on this phrase. I was caught up to the third heaven. Whenever we hear the word heaven, doesn't it just engross our entire imagination? When I hear the word heaven, it, so many things go off in my heart and go off in my mind. I want to know what's it really like? Does it really have streets of gold? Does it have a crystal sea? Are there pearly gates? I mean, what, what's heaven really like? Are there mansions in heaven? And then I wonder, does it really exist? Have you ever wondered if it really exists? I know as Christians we believe it does, but those questions come up. And if it really exists, you wonder, well, how do I get there? And who gets to go and who gets to choose? And does my here affect my there? Eternal questions, questions that are so important. The scripture says everyone living must die, and we all should think about this. Not after we're dead, but, but while we're living. So eternal questions. And what I want to do is I want to focus in on, on heaven today. And I want us to talk about and answer all of these questions that I just mentioned. And everything that I'm going to be teaching you today comes from my book. It's called After You Die. Here's a copy of it right here. How many of you have my book? How many of you don't have my book? I forgive you. (laughs) Forgive every one of you because this has been out for like four years now. And I say this in the humblest way that I can. I know this is not going to sound humble, but if you read my heart, you know this is humble. It's going to sound like a humble brag, but this is one of the best books ever written on the afterlife. And I say that giving all glory to God because I didn't want to write this book. I was asked to write this book by our publishers when there was a lot of discussion going on about whether hell is real. And somebody said, can you write a book uh, just talking about the afterlife? And so I didn't want to. But as I did, God began to just pour into my heart revelation and understanding. I went back and I read it um, just a couple of weeks ago in preparation for today. And I cried when I read this. It is so good, I promise you, it is so good, you need to get this book, and so today we're going to be talking from this book, and we're going to be answering questions about life after death and specifically heaven, and I know it's going to be a blessing to you, let's pray, Father in the name of Jesus, would you speak to our hearts, would you minister to our souls, impact us with the reality of what heaven is like today in a way that's new and fresh in Jesus' name, and everybody said, you may be seated. The Apostle Paul, perhaps more than anybody else, talks about heaven. He talks about heaven when he says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, which, by the way, leads to a whole different discussion. Notice he says there's only one choice if you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, you either get to stay on earth or when you die, you go to heaven to be with you. There is no in-between place. As a matter of fact, it's one of the discussions in the book we talk about and we answer questions like, is there a purgatory and does the Bible actually support purgatory? But anyway, the Apostle Paul talks about heaven when he says we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. He talks about heaven when he says the things that we see are temporal, but the things that we don't see are eternal. He talks about heaven when he says, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed for this corruption must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality he talks about heaven when he says for now We see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now we know in part, but then we shall know even as we are known. He talks about heaven when he says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says, but the life that I now live, this is the fruit of my labor. He says, I do not know what I want. I'm in a strait betwixt the two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. He talks about heaven when he says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await our Savior Jesus Christ from there. He talks about heaven when he says, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and remain. We'll be caught up together to be with him in the clouds, and so shall we forever be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort ye one another with these words over and over. The apostle Paul talks about heaven. It's like he can't get heaven out of his mind, and there's a good reason for that. He visited heaven. What would it say about heaven if you visited there and then you completely forgot about it? wouldn't be very good. But heaven is so impactful, it's so amazing, that if we ever get a glimpse of it, it's just life-changing and revolutionary. I believe this is why when we pray so hard for our loved ones who are on their deathbed, and sometimes I believe God gives them a glimpse of heaven, why would they want to come back? I mean, I know that we want them to, and we want them to be with us, but heaven is so magnificent and so glorious, and the Apostle Paul, he can't stop talking about it. And what I love about what he says is in our opening text, he says, well, I saw things that I really shouldn't talk about, but then he can't stop talking about heaven, right? Because it's that impactful. Many people have claimed to have had an out-of-body experience and visited heaven. Most notably in recent years, a little boy by the name of Colton Burpo. Maybe you've heard of him. His story was chronicled in the movie, Heaven is for Real. Also, a book called Heaven is for Real. He was three years old. His dependence burst when he was on the operating table, and he died, and he went to heaven. And he said the first thing that he encountered was Jesus in heaven. And he said that Jesus made him feel so welcome. Jesus had the angels sing to him because he was afraid, he said. And he said, well, he was in heaven. He and Things that a three-year-old would never know. He said, I met my sister there, he told his parents. But he didn't have a sister. What he didn't know is that his mother had miscarried. And they never told him that. He said, I met my sister there when I was in heaven. And they talked about meeting his grandfather in heaven. And and they showed him a picture of his of his grandfather. And he said, Well, that wasn't him. Grandfather was in his sixties in the picture. Then they showed him a picture when he was when his grandfather was only twenty nine. They said and he said, Yeah, that's him. Isn't it good to know as you get older we all want you know our youth back as we get older, right? We all can't we all pine for the days when everything was in place and nothing was sagging and everything like that. Well, we didn't have to avoid the mirror. Does anybody else avoid the mirror like I do? I walk by the mirror like this. You know, I don't want to see it. We pine, but in heaven, it's all going to be where it's supposed to be. I mean, I long for that day. He talked about heaven. And he talked about how he met God in three people. He talked about God the Father and God the Son. uh, That's a a big concept for a three-year-old. He said Jesus had red markers on his hands. Just, just an, an everyday kid talk. And so he, he was impacted by heaven. Heaven is something that when you're impacted by it, you can't stop talking about it. But there are some people that don't believe heaven is for real. The um, recently passed away Stephen Hawking, who the Nobel Prize winning physicist and author, a famed atheist, he said, I regard the brain as a computer which will stop working when its components fail. There is no heaven or afterlife for broken down computers. That is a fairy tale for people who are afraid of the dark. Interesting. I think he knows the truth right now. And, 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 and I don't say that derogatorily to him. Because we might be surprised he might be in heaven. You say, Pastor, he was an atheist his whole life. See, I believe something about God. I believe that even on our deathbed, that God gives us that final opportunity to surrender our life to Jesus. And I'll prove it to you. The two thieves on the cross, if you were witnessing the crucifixion and you were standing there knowing everything that those guys did and somebody asked you, are either one of those guys going to heaven? How many of you would know everybody would say neither one was going? but one of them showed up in paradise. God is so gracious. It's not the will of God for any to perish, but that we all should come to the knowledge of the truth of his dear son. And so Stephen Hawking, though, while he was alive, he said, I don't believe in an afterlife. It's a made-up story for people who are afraid of the dark. And so here's the question. Who's right? Is it the Apostle Paul? Is it the three-year-old little boy? Or is it the acclaimed physicist and world-renowned atheist? Who's right? Who's right? Well, I want to share with you some reasons why I believe heaven is for real. And I don't want to just share with you biblical reasons because how many of you know when you're talking to somebody that doesn't believe in Jesus or doesn't believe in the Bible, to say to them, well, because the Bible says so, it doesn't go very far. So I want to tell you why we can have confidence in the in in, in, in the reality of heaven, that heaven is for real. And then we're going to look at what the Bible says about heaven. And so the first reason why I believe heaven is for real is because of human history. Did you know that every civilization in human history has embraced heaven in one form or another or the afterlife in one form or another? Every single civilization in human history. Australian aborigines pictured heaven in a distant island beyond the western horizon. The early Finns thought it was a distant island in the faraway east. Mexicans Peruvians and Polynesians believed that they went to the sun or moon after they died. Native Americans believed that in the afterlife their spirits would hunt the spirits of buffalo. An ancient Babylonian legend refers to a resting place of heroes and hints at a tree of life. In the pyramids of Egypt, the embalmed bodies had maps placed beside them as guides to the future world. And although each one of these civilizations had different ideas and concepts about the afterlife or heaven, it's interesting to me that they all believed in the afterlife and in a place called heaven. And it makes me wonder, it makes me ask this question. Can the collective consciousness of all civilizations in human history all be wrong? I mean, it's a lot of people, a lot of civilizations, a lot of human history to all be wrong. Could everybody just not have it right? Or is there another explanation? And I believe there is another explanation. In the Bible, in Ecclesiastes 3.11, the scripture tells us that God has placed, or a better word would be, God has planted eternity in the hearts of man. In other words, God has put this longing for him, this longing for life after death, this longing that knows that this life is not all that there is. Matter of fact, do you know what this life is? It's a vapor. It's a second. It's a dash. On tombstones, we put the dash, right? And that's the greatest thing we could have ever ever did. Because it reminds us that it's here today, it's gone tomorrow, but eternity is forever. And God has put this, this longing, this knowing on the inside of us that there's more to life than the one that we currently experience. And so I believe in heaven. I believe it's real because of human history. I also believe it's real because of human testimony. You know, Stephen Hawking said there's, there's no place for broken down computer parts. But I believe that, that human testimony would challenge this. Did you know that there are over 8 million, million NDEs, near-death experiences, on record, that you can read about and study. Matter of fact, there's a whole scientific school, whole scientific area of study dedicated to near-death experiences. These are experiences where people die, they have out-of-body experiences, and then they come back to live and tell about it. And what's amazing about these near-death experiences, 8 million, not not 800, not 8,000, not 80,000, not 800,000, 8 million. Do you know in a court of law, If you had 800 people all come in and tell the same thing, case closed. If you had 8,000, they wouldn't even let everybody testify. 80,000, they would think this is, this is ridiculous. Why are we even talking about this? 800,000, beyond what you can, uh, represent as proof. 8 million, I mean just, just infinitely impossible for it not to be true. The statistics on 8 million people all hallucinating and all lying about an experience are impossible to happen statistically. You have a better chance of winning the lottery than that happening. And anyway, 8 million of these NDEs on record for us to, to to, to learn about, they all have the same story. They all talk about a part of them leaving their body, and they can actually see what's happening. Just like little Colton Burpo. He talked about how he could see his parents. He, he reported, he, he told about where his dad was. His dad was in the little chapel, and he talked about that, and he said, Dad, I saw that you were angry, and you were, you were saying mean things about God, and that's what his dad was doing. And he said, I saw Mom, and Mom was in the hospital room, and she was just praying, Eight million of these people all have the same story, and it goes something like this. A part of me left my body, and I was able to see everything that was going on because that's our spirit. That's the part that lives forever. And then they say either they went toward this great light, this big bright light, down this tunnel toward this light, or they fell into this bottomless pit, and they heard screams and fire and all this kind of stuff. Now, what's interesting about those descriptions uh, from people is that they line up with what the Scripture teaches us about heaven and hell. You say, they they went towards this great big light. Well, how is that about heaven? How many of you know what God says about himself in the word? He says in the Bible, I am light. And in me is no darkness at all. And so when they travel towards this great big light, it's a perfect description of God. And then the Bible, when it talks about hell, it talks about fires that cannot be put out and outer darkness and, and screeching and screaming and all of those kind of things. And so you have 8 million people all describing what the Bible says. And it kind of makes us think. It makes us ask the question, can 8 million people all have been misled? Listen to a couple of these near-death experiences as they're told. This one person says, I died then. I felt my soul or something coming right out of my body, like you pull a silk handkerchief out of a pocket by one corner. It flew around and then it came back and went in again, and I wasn't dead anymore. Guess who this was? Ernest Hemingway. A lot of people think, well, you know, just, just religious people, just, just weird people, you know, can have these. This is, this is somebody who's smart. This is somebody who's, who's a brainiac of sort. Ernest Hemingway, listen to this one. Suddenly the pain, fever, and acute distress seemed to evaporate. I was floating above my body, surrounded by a soft blue light. I began to glide down a long tunnel away from my bed, but suddenly I found myself back in my body, and the doctors told me later that I actually died. Guess who said that? Donald Sutherland. A lot of people will say, well, you know, these near-death experiences, they are the result of religious and cultural training and upbringing. The problem with that line of thinking is that it crosses, these near-death experiences cross religions, they cross cultures, they cross beliefs, they cross ages. Atheists have even had near-death experiences. So this isn't religious brainwashing. This is something that has happened to people no matter what belief they have, no matter what background they're from. Other people will say, well, this is a modern fad, you know, only only of recent ages or times Did you know that the earliest NDE comes from Plato? Plato? How'd you like to hear that debate between Plato and Stephen Hawking? I mean, that would be awesome Couldn't accuse him of not being too smart now, could you, right? I mean, these are on record for all ages Other people say, well, you know, NDEs are the, the effect of oxygen loss Well, do you know when you, when you lose oxygen, you become delirious? You can't think right. You, you can't have coherent thoughts. Matter of fact, a lot of times it's, it's very scary, very frightening. But when people have NDEs, they're coherent. They see. They explain. There's a logical progression of thought. NDEs, 8 million. I know about you. But if 8 million people say the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over again, it's going to make me kind of think maybe 8 million people are correct. I believe that heaven is for real because of human history. I believe heaven is for real because of human testimony. I believe heaven is for real because of human victory. Human tragedy is challenging for all of us, isn't it? When we all see tragedy and needless suffering, poverty, famine, racism, disease, divorce, worry, fear, hate, the death of loved ones, the death of innocent children, kind of makes us all ask questions. I know as Christians we don't like to believe that you know, our minds are challenged with questions, but they are. Let's just be honest. Kind of makes us ask the question: Wasn't God do anything to stop it? I mean, if, God, just stop it! Do something about it! And, and my answer to that—and this is not my message today—so I'm not going to get into a lot of detail. But my answer to that is this: He already has done something about that. See, what has He done about that? Heaven. He's provided a place where none of those things exist anymore. Listen to it. Revelation chapter 21, verse number 4. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There should be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. There should be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Jesus said, You can take it to the bank. There is a place that has been designed. We're gonna see this in a minute. For us, where it's the way that we want it: no more death, no more suffering, no more hate, no more violence. Everybody gets treated with love and respect. There is such a place. It's called heaven. And listen, listen. But why doesn't God do something now? Listen, we have to understand now. Now is that. Now is a vapor. Now is just here today, gone tomorrow. It's a dash. To compare, compare now to how long we'll live for this life to how long we live for, it would be less than a second. All the years, let's say you live to 100. That's a second not even a second, compared to eternity. And so think about what God has done. God has given us a place that we will live for the majority of our existence in a perfect place, a place where it's like we want now. That's what God has done. And He's provided us a a way to get there. The way to get there is through Jesus. It's very simple. He said, if you'll just choose Jesus, you get to spend eternity in the place that you've always wanted it to be. This world Is not the way God intended it. When God made this world, He didn't intend for there to be disease and death and needless suffering. When He created the Garden of Eden, it was a perfect environment. Adam and Eve were created to live forever, but when they chose to sin, when sin entered the world, listen sin is destructive. We don't think about this in our day and age because, you know, we are so immersed in the message of grace, which I love, by the way. But sometimes we think that the message of grace means that sin is not important. Sin is destructive. It'll mess with your life. And the good news is that that God created this place that, that trumps sin, that, that is better than what sin did to this earth. It's called heaven. And that place is God's ultimate answer. It's God's ultimate victory. Why doesn't God do anything about it? Listen to what the scripture says. It says, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? What's it saying? It's saying, you know what? There's a place that there's hope beyond the grave. There, There's healing beyond the grave. There, There's health beyond the grave. There's life beyond the grave. We don't hope as people who have no hope because we know that there's a heaven that exists. Ultimate victory. And so I believe in heaven, for all of these reasons, and it kind of makes me ask the question of what's it really like? Are there streets of gold? Is there a crystal sea? What is a crystal sea? Does it just mean that the water is so pure? Does it actually mean there's crystals in the water? What's a crystal sea? Are there mansions in heaven? Is heaven like MTV cribs? You know, is that, is that what heaven is all about? I know people have that in their mind, you know, lifestyles of the rich and famous and the super wealth and all that. Is that, is that what heaven is like? What's, what's heaven like? I mean, are the flowers more beautiful? Are there animals in heaven? And you know, I mean, uh, where do we all hang out in heaven? What's, what's it like? We have these weird views about heaven, don't we? We think, for instance, that when we get to heaven, that we're going to become angels. Ever hear that before? Everybody becomes an angel. And specifically, we're going to become tiny little chubby cherub that have wings. That is not heaven. I'm hoping chubby does not exist in heaven. Anybody else with me? I want to go to the marriage supper of the Lamb. I want to eat whatever I want. I want a carp overload in heaven. I want a sugar overload in heaven. And I don't want to get fat. That's what I want in heaven. And we're going to eat in heaven, believe me. Marriage Supper of the Lamb is what it's called, right? What's heaven like? We have, we have these peculiar thoughts about heaven. Some of us think we think that's going to be an eternal church service, that all we're going to do is just hang around the throne of God and worship God forever and ever and ever. You know that would be torture for some of you? Some of you can't handle five songs in worship. Some of you specifically come late every single week, 20 minutes, just, well, I only get one song, you know. I just, just want to go to Air pastor preach, you know. Imagine if you were in heaven, and all it was was worship song after worship song after worship. That would be a living hell for some of you. Some of you are like, get me out of here. I don't want to be in this place, right? We think heaven is all these weird things. We even have weird views about God. If you're from my generation, who does God look like? George Burns. He smokes a cigar, right? I mean, wouldn't that be cool? You go to heaven and God is just like puffing on a big stogie. Like, It's not going to happen, by the way. Um, if you're from this generation, who does God look like? Morgan Friedman, right? Don't you love the balance of the generations? My generation, God was an old white man. and this generation, God's an old black man. Isn't that cool? You know, I don't really care what color God is. When I get to heaven, when I see Jesus black, white, red, brown, I'm falling on his knees. I'm worshiping him. It doesn't matter to me. We have these weird, weird views about heaven. What's it like? First thing I want to share with you about heaven is that heaven is a real place. It's not a figment of our imagination. It's not ethereal. It's not nirvana. It's not where we float around. It's not endless space. It's not not soul sleep. It's a real place. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 2. He said, in my Father's house are many rooms. Let me stop there for a moment. This is the most accurate translation of this verse. Many, many translations say, In my Father's house are many mansions. When I found this out, it was a little bit of a bummer. There are no mansions in heaven. You don't get a mansion in heaven. I look at y'all, you're like, Oh, but I want a mansion, Pastor. Pastor. Really do. See, all you're like, uh, at least I can deal with this house now because when I get to heaven, I'm going to have a mansion, you know. And you're seeing like all the cars in the driveway and the gates and everything like that and the gone with the wind staircase. And that's what you all are thinking, right? But it's not like that. And I can prove this to you because in Hebrew culture, when a couple got married, they would move in with the parents. And the parents would put an extension on their home. And that's kind of like but well, this is why I believe that everything starts off being Italian. I believe this with all my heart, by the way. Because this is the way the Italian people do it. The Italian people do it. When the kids get married, they move in with you. And and, and we don't do extensions on the house, we do basements. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And and we deck the basement out. I mean, we put kitchens in the basement. And we don't care if the code says you can put a kitchen in the basement or not. We just put the kitchen in the basement, right? And then the guy comes by, he knocks on the door, and he's like, can I come in and check? You're like, no, you cannot come in. Right? And and, and the reason why we do this is we do this because it's like everybody under one roof. You know, it's it's like, we are family. Right? And we, we we just love it. We just love it. And here's what I know: God loves it even more. God doesn't want all of his kids in, in separate places. God wants all of his kids in one big house with lots and lots of rooms. One big house with lots and lots of rooms. Does anybody know that song from back in Sunday school? It's got a big, big house with lots and lots of rooms. Anybody never hear of that song before? Can I see your hand if you never heard of that song before? Y'all ain't been saved but a minute then, huh? <laughs> See, heaven is a real place. So watch this. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I'm going to prepare, watch this, a place for you. I think Jesus is very specific about this. He wants us to know that this is not a figment of our imagination. It's not something that's made up for people who are afraid of the dark. This is God's gift to us, this place called heaven. Second thing I want to share with you about heaven is heaven was designed for us. Matthew 25, verse number 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom, watch this, prepared for you since the creation of the world. Do you know why heaven is so wonderful and so beautiful? It's not because God wanted a nice place for him. It's because God prepared it for us. Everything in heaven, God had us in mind. The reason why there are streets of gold is because God thought we would like that. That's why it's okay to like nice stuff. It's not okay for nice stuff to have you, but it's okay for you to have nice stuff. Did you get that? It's not okay for nice stuff to have you, but it's okay for you to have nice stuff because heaven was prepared with us in mind. Streets of gold, crystal sea, pearly gates. I mean, the foundations are diamonds and sapphires and rubies and onyx and emeralds and all precious stones. I mean, it's beautiful. It's the celestial city. And the reason why it's like that is because God created this place, this real place for you and I. It's the reason why heaven is so beautiful. And it's the reason why hell is not so beautiful. Because hell was never created for you and I. God never intended for one human being to ever spend a moment in hell. And the only way somebody gets to go to hell is if they choose to go there. How do you choose to go there? You choose to go there by choosing not to put your faith in Jesus Christ. When you say you want an eternity without Jesus, God gives you the eternity without Jesus. But when you choose Jesus, you get to spend eternity in the beautiful place called heaven. But hell is not created for us. I'll prove this to you. How many of you know the scripture never says that your name will be written in the Lamb's book of life? I'm just messing with you alls brain right now. Because y'all are like, yes it does, yes it does. No it doesn't. What it says is that your name can be blotted out of the Lamb's book of life. What does that mean? It means everybody starts off in the book of life. You live your entire life. And if you die without accepting Jesus as your Savior, it gets blotted out. But if you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, it stays in there. God starts out with the picture of everybody coming to heaven. This is why when children pass away before they know Jesus, they go to heaven because their names in the book of life right from the very beginning. Heaven is an awesome place. Hell is not because hell was not created for you and I. The Bible actually says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, God has prepared for those that love Him. It is amazing, amazing, amazing. The third thing I want to tell you about heaven is heaven is a place beyond our wildest imagination. You know, I'm going to try to describe how good it is in just a second here, but let me just say I'm not going to be able to even scratch the surface, but I'm going to try. Have you ever had a moment that you wish would last forever? Anybody ever have a moment like that We just wish would last forever? If you've never had a moment like that, I'm going to pray that God gives you a moment like that. Because I believe God wants us all to have moments like that. Moments like that for me are when I'm just with my wife and kids. I, I would rather do nothing more than spending time with my wife and kids. Those are, those are my moments. Whatever those moments look like, it doesn't really matter to me. But the moment that really sticks out to me with is when, when my daughter was first born. Have you, ever, have you ever tried to explain to a young couple the woman is pregnant, what it's going to be like, how their life is going to change when they, when they have their baby for the first time. And, you know, young couples, they think they know everything. Sorry, young people. I thought I knew everything at one time, too. Um, and, and you try to tell them, they're like, yeah, yeah, we know, we know, we got it, we got it, we got it, we got it. They don't know because you you can't know it until you experience it, Right? And so you try to explain it a little bit. I mean, you're going to be in the delivery room, and, 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 and there's going, going to be a lot of pain and a lot of crying and all that. But then it's going to be this magical moment, and you're going to see the head pop out. The rest of the body is still going to be inside the womb, but the head is just going to pop out. It's amazing. And they're going to be like, and, be like, and then the rest of the baby comes out, and the baby's got all sorts of nasty things all over it. And they look. And, you're like, and then the doctor takes the baby out and the doctor will say, do you want to cut the umbilical cord? And then all of a sudden they turn green, right? It's like, and then you got those people who are like, oh yeah, you want to see pictures? Listen, don't show strangers pictures of your wife's vagina with a baby coming out of it. <laughs> can, can I just be real to you for just a moment? What is wrong with y'all people? You know, I got a video. I'm like, no, I don't want to see the video, Right. I mean, if you want to keep it for yourself so you can go back and look on it, that's cool. But please do not show me. Don't even ask me. I will break your phone. <laughs> They're trying to explain like they don't get it. I remember when, when I didn't get it and I'm in the delivery room and Nicole comes out. And you hear that, that, that screeching cry that the baby makes. It's the most beautiful sound in all the world. You hold... Your baby, I remember when I hold my little girl for the first time and when I kissed her for the first time and changed her poopy diaper for the first time, which I didn't do very often because I wasn't real into that. But anyway, um, it's, there's nothing like it. It's, it's a moment that you want to just capture forever and ever and ever. It's, it's life-changing. If you could take that moment and multiply it by infinity, you haven't even scratched the surface Of what heaven is like It is beyond our wildest dreams The apostle Paul in our opening text says When I was there I heard things That I can't put into words I can't express in words Beyond our wildest imagination Number four, fourth thing I want to share with you about heaven Is heaven is a place of reward Listen to what the scripture says 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 8 We are confident I say and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please Him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and each one may receive what He has do, what He has do Him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now when we hear judgment seat, what do we all think? We all think, oh no, that's gonna be a scary moment, because we're afraid of Judgment, you know. But there's two judgments spoken of in the Bible. The first one is the great white throne judgment. That's where everybody, great and small, rich and poor, black and white, male and female, all stand before God, saved and unsaved. And they are judged based on one criteria and one criteria only. Have they put their faith in Jesus Christ? Because he's the only way to get to heaven. So they're judged just simply on that. And those that are welcomed into heaven and those that aren't get what they chose in eternity apart from God in a place called hell. But there's a second judgment. It's referred to here. It's it's the Bema seat of judgment. And a Bema seat, that's actually the word used in the original language, comes from the ancient Greece. This is where Olympic games were played and the king or the ruler, the monarch, might have been on a dais, an elevated seat. And after the games were over, all of the athletes would come by and they would be given medals for how they performed in the Olympic games. Do you know how the Bible describes life as an Olympic race. The Bible says that seeing that we have such a great cloud of witnesses in ca- uh, 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 about us, let us run with patience the race that is set before us, and not get so easily entangled, right, in the sins and the weights that can beset us. But let us look on to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. This life is a race. And here's what God is saying: what you do here matters. Because when you get there in eternity, you are going to receive rewards for how you ran your race here. And I don't know about you, but I want to please the Lord. I want God to feel like I did such a good job that he's going to have so many rewards that that line is going to be held up. And they're going to be like, who's holding up the line? And somebody's going to say, well, that's Frank because God's got a lot of awards for him. I don't know. That might sound selfish. But I want to please God And that's why our text says The one I just read We make it our goal to please Him To please Him Because this life matters. How you live your life matters for all of eternity. We don't think it does. You know, we as Christians sometimes feel like we made Jesus our Lord and Savior, and so we just could do whatever we want. No, when you made Jesus your Lord and Savior, you've got to live for God. You've got to live right. Why? Because there's rewards in heaven. Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 says, Blessed are you when people insult you. Anybody ever feel blessed when you get insulted? Right? I think we should start a new trend. When somebody insults you, say, thank you for blessing me. We're not just freak them out a little bit. They probably get more mad and curse at you more, you know, and yell at you more. You'd be like, thank you for blessing me. Thank you more for blessing me. Thank you very much for blessing me. I appreciate those <laughs> blessings right there. After a while, they're going to just stop, right? They're going to be like, you're crazy. That says, Notice, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Watch this. Because great is your reward in heaven heaven is a place of reward fifth thing I want to share with you about heaven is heaven is a place of responsibility and I know we're like responsibility in heaven yeah responsibility is not a bad thing listen to what the scripture says famous uh, of all the parables the parable of the talents it's found in Matthew 25 here's what it says it starts off beginning in verse 14 for the kingdom of heaven is like what is this parable about It's about the kingdom of heaven. It is not about life here on earth. Some of the principles apply to life here on earth, but the parable is about the kingdom of heaven. The whole chapter is about the kingdom of heaven. If you go back to verse number 1, verse number 1 of chapter 25 starts, For the kingdom of heaven is like, and then it goes on and says, It's like a man who was traveling from a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his own ability, and immediately went on a journey. Jump down to verse number 21. His Lord said to him, he came back, he said, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. Watch this. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. When do we enter into the joy of the Lord? Obviously, we can have joy on this earth, but this is a phrase that describes entering into heaven. Enter into the joy of the Lord. When do you get made ruler over many things? In heaven. What determines whether you're made ruler over many things in heaven? How you handle your business here on this earth. How you handle your money matters here on this earth. Where God stands in your life matters here on this earth. Your commitment to church matters on this earth. How you are as a husband. How you are as a wife. How you are as a father. How you are as a mother. How you are as an employee. How you are as a Christian. It matters. It impacts eternity. Heaven is a place of responsibility. Next thing I want to share with you, and this is perhaps my greatest reason for loving heaven. Heaven is a place where we see God face to face. Face to face. Anybody ever been on a vacation for a period of time without their spouse or a business trip without their spouse for a period of time? I hate that. I can't wait to come home and see Lisa. I just... just, I'm so excited. She's usually, a lot of times I'll come home late at night, like one in the morning, and she's sound asleep, and I'll just nudge her and wake up and say, I just want to see you. <laughs> you, 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 you long to see somebody that you love face to face. I don't know what your relationship with Jesus is like. I assume it's similar to mine. Don't you long to see Jesus face to face? I've talked to him so many times. I've heard him speak back to me so many times. I felt his presence. I experienced his power, but I've never seen him face to face. I can't wait to see Jesus face to face. And the the great thing about seeing Jesus face to face, it's not just seeing his physical appearance. That's not what this means. When, When you see somebody face to face in the Bible, it literally describes knowing them intimately. Face to face encounter. Do you know now we only know Jesus in part? Our revelation of Jesus is progressive. We learn a little bit more about him each and every day. But I can't wait to the day when I see him for who he fully is, where I understand that he's my everything, that he's not just a little part of me, but he's my all in all. He's my life. He's my breath. He's my joy. He's my redemption. He's my justifier. He's my healer. He's my provider. He's my salvation. He's the glory and the lifter of my head. He's my peace. He's my power. He's my miracle worker. He's my everything. I can't wait to see Jesus face to face. You might have heard me tell the story about Fanny Crosby. If her name is not familiar, you probably know her by some of her music. She's known as America's Hymn Queen. She wrote over 10,000 hymns. Her most famous is probably Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine, Oh, What a Foretaste of Glory divine, please tell me y'all know Blessed Assurance. Anybody not know Blessed Assurance? Can I see your hand if you don't know Blessed Assurance? Y'all have been saved but just a minute, right? Eh? <laughs> Look it up. It's one, of those, it's one of those songs that just speaks to your soul. And um, she seemed like she had a charmed life. Over 10,000 hymns brought her before senators and heads of states and presidents and world leaders and just, just everywhere, all over the world. Famous, 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 famous. Her life didn't start off charmed, but she was just a little baby She got an eye infection. It was during a time when medicine was not as good as it is today. Didn't have a lot of doctors, kind of like even before Little House on the Prairie type stuff, right? And so our parents brought her to a doctor to get the eye infection out. The doctor was a fake. He was a phony. He said, well, the only way I know to do this is to take some hot mustard compresses and put them on the eyes. And the parents were reluctant, but they didn't know any better, so they agreed, and they put those hot mustard compresses on little Fanny's eyes, and she screamed. And when they took them off, the mustard compresses burned her corneas out in both eyes and she was blind from that moment forward. But yet, even though she was limited by the world standard, God did unlimited things through her. Can I encourage somebody today? You're not limited by whatever it is that makes you kind of unique here on this earth. You're not limited by because you don't have something that somebody else has. When you serve Jesus Christ, He is able to take all your unlimited things and turn you into all your limited things and turn you into somebody with unlimited potential and unlimited realization. God can do it. Trust me. Just stay faithful. And she stayed faithful and she went on and she wrote all these hymns and she had a conversation with a pastor. And the pastor said to her, Fanny, you know, with all the gifts that God has given you, have you ever wondered why I didn't give you the gift of sight? She looked at that pastor. She said, if at birth I could ask God for one thing, it would be that I would be born blind. And the pastor said, why? And she said, because when I die, and open my eyes in heaven, the first face that I'll see is that of my Savior, Jesus Christ. (laughs) I can only imagine... What my eyes will see when I see your face before me? Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in all of you be still? Will I stand in your presence to my knees, will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak it all? can only imagine what it's going to be like to see Jesus face to face. Lastly, I want to share with you that heaven is a place where God's dream comes true. Not our dream. God's dream comes true. The best way I can describe this to you is to tell you a story about my son. When my son was little, and I hope so even today, um, he's my bud, and my best pal. I would tease him, say to him, I'd say, who's your, who's your buddy? He'd say, you are, dad. And I said, when you get older, am I still going to be your best buddy? He said, yeah, you're going to be my best bud, dad. He doesn't answer like that anymore because he's a little bit older now. But when he was little, I mean, he, he wouldn't leave me alone. He would get up in the morning and he would come darting down the hallway and he'd superfly me, which means that he'd leave the ground and get air underneath while I was sleeping and jump right on top of me while I was sleeping and say, Dad, let's go play baseball. Right? <laughs> just, just always, and I'd go to the bathroom. He'd wait right outside the bathroom door. He'd sit on the floor by the bathroom door. And he'd, he'd listen in. And he'd say, "He'd say, Dad, you brushing your teeth now? Because he'd listen. He'd hear. say, yeah. said, Dad... Spitting out your mouthwash now? Yeah. Dad, you taking a pee now? Yeah. He just was just listening the whole time. And so um, he would love to play baseball, you know, and so every time I'd come home, he'd, he'd be waiting there, and I would hit the garage door button, and it'd open up, and he'd be waiting there with all his baseball stuff on He'd get in the car and say, let's go play baseball. We'd go to do that in cages and all this. Well, one day I was working at home, and I, I decided to cut the day early and go to pick him up at school, and I thought, well, I'll get his baseball gear together, and we'll go play some baseball. And so I picked him up, and he gets in the car, and I said, Joe, let's go, let's go to the batting cages. I got, I got your stuff. He looked at me. And he said, Dad, my friend said he's going to call me when I get home. And I said, that's all right. Mom will be home. She'll take the phone call. She'll tell your friend. She'll call. You can call back when, when you get home. He said, Dad, I really want to go home and wait for that phone call. I started to cry. I said, are we really at the day where he wants to be with his friends more than he wants to be with me. And I thought, that's how it is with God, isn't it? You know, this is how we do God. We, we want to be with everything else in life except God. When we have a little time, we kind of fit God in. When he's not too inconvenient for our schedule. When the weather is not too nice. I want to commend those of you that are here today. But always, nice weather, church attendance goes down. <laughs> Because people would rather be with their gardening. They would rather be with their outdoor stuff than to be with God for an hour and a half on Sunday. Just fitting God in wherever we can. But here's what I love about heaven. Revelation chapter 21, verse number 4 says this. God will dwell with us. We, he will be our God and we will be his people. Do you know what this means? It means that in heaven... God gets to spend uninterrupted time for all of eternity with us. And this is all God has ever wanted. All God has ever wanted is to be in relationship with you, to be your best friend, to be your best bud. Matter of fact, Jesus says, I'm a friend that sticks closer than a brother. No matter how you try to shake Jesus, you can't shake him. He says, I'll walk through the valley of the shadow of death with you. I'll walk through the burning, fiery furnaces of life with you. I'll walk to the end of the earth with you. If you make your bed in hell, I'll be there. If you ascend to the highest mountains, I'll be there. He's just waiting on you and waiting on you and waiting on you. And you try to shake him, but he's always there because he loves you that much. You can't shake God. And in heaven, God's dream comes true. His dream comes true because he gets to spend uninterrupted time with us for all of eternity. So here's the question I want to leave you with How do you get to heaven? It's real, it exists. It's beautiful, it's been created for us. God doesn't want any of us to spend time in hell all with Him in this place called heaven forever and ever and ever. Listen to what Jesus says in John 14 to His disciples beginning in verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, if it were not so, I would have told you. In other words, Jesus said, I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, tell you something that's not true. I'm not going to lead you on and let you down. By the way, do you know that's true of everything God says? If God says something in his word, you can take that to the bank. Even if it, even if it goes counter to your in, intuition. E- even if you don't think you're being blessed when you're being insulted, you are. Imagine, imagine the rewards in heaven. We get up there and God pulls out a whole bunch of rewards. And, and I don't know if this is the way it's going to happen when I say pull out a bunch of rewards. But imagine if he doesn't. And, 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 and you're like, well, what are those for? And he's like, as every time you were insulted because of me. Here's your reward chest. Because you blessed when you were reviled and you spoke kindly when you were Insulted. Imagine that. He says, if it weren't so I would, I would have told you Everything God says you can take it to the bank If God says it's ble- be- better to give than receive It's better to give than receive If God says better is one day in my house Than a thousand el- elsewhere It's better to be in God's house than anywhere else Whatever God says you can take it to the bank And Jesus says if it wasn't so I would have told you I'm going there to prepare a place for you And if I go and prepare a place for you I will come back and take you to be with me That you also may be where I am You know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered. Pay attention. Everybody, 30 and under. 30 and under, pay attention. Jesus answered, I am the way. Not a way. The way. I am the truth. Not a truth the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to me except through, no one comes to the Father except through me. Why do I say 30 and under? Because 30 and under, you're under cultural siege. The cultural siege is that it is it is unreasonable to expect that there is only one way, one path to get to heaven. Can I tell you that it's stupidity if there were more than one paths? Let me, let me explain it to you this way. How many has a job? You have a job? Can I see your hand if you have a job? Anybody need a job? Can I see your hand if you need a job? We're praying for you. Seriously, All praying for you. When you have a job, don't you want there to be set expectations? Imagine, imagine if you had a job and, you know, you met with your boss and what do you want me to do? And they're like, ah, oh, whatever. Whatever floats your boat. And then and then you did whatever you wanted, right? And then your boss came to you and said, What have you been doing? Why aren't you doing what I need you to do? He said, well, what do you want me to do, boss? Well, whatever, 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 whatever. How crazy would it be to not have a standard or an expectation? Think about this. For God to say, Whatever, whatever. It's unfair. But for God to be definitive, for God to say, I've created a place called heaven for you, and I want to tell you the exact way for you to get to heaven so you never have to wonder where you're going to go after you die, and for Jesus to come and for Jesus to say, I am not a way, but I am the way. I am not a life, but I am the life. I am not a truth, but I am the truth. And no one comes to the Father except through me. He is loving us by giving us a clear path so that we can get to Him. And here's my question for you today. Are you going to heaven?